Hey, I'm Nate Flax. I'm Noah Longworth McGuire. And this is Talking Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversation. We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion, but we've been lucky enough to write, produce, and hang out with so many incredible rising artists since we started our project. Whether it's at sessions or parties or over cups of coffee, we've talked with our creative friends about everything. Music, life, love, and all the subtle complexities that come with being in the middle of a journey. Talking Line is about hitting record in these conversations and sharing them with you. There's no real structure, nothing really prepared, just friends talking about life and what it's been like and where it's going. We recorded this episode with our friend Yost, who was visiting from Australia and stayed with us while he was in LA. I first got in touch with Yost after hearing his song Moon at a particularly low point in my life. The song really hit me, so I reached out to him, which sparked an internet friendship that's lasted over two years. Some context for this interview. Yost recently put out his EP, Try To Be Okay, and came to the U.S. to support Shalu on tour. An excellent conversationalist who's always ready for a deep dive in philosophy, it was awesome having Yost stay with us at the house while he was in town. His music has a distinctive minimal and atmospheric quality, with lyrics that touch on something genuine and melancholic. So, without further ado, I'm Yost, and you're listening to Talking Lion. Hey, I'm Nate. And I'm Noah. And you're listening to Talking Lion. We are here with our good friend, Kurt, or Yost, uh, who is in from Australia. How is uh, the time zone treating you so far? Jet lagged? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> As you well know, <laughs> since we're living together. Yeah, you've been staying, uh, staying on the couch downstairs, but uh, you're here on, on a series of tours and, and whatnot. Is this your first time in the U.S.? or Second time in the U.S., but I can't really remember the first all that well. It was just a family holiday when I was younger. Where'd you go? Vermont. Oh, wow. And New oh. York. Actually, it was great. I used to go up to Vermont as a kid. It's like, was it like snowy when you were in Vermont? Or was it was. Nice? Went toboggan It felt oh, nice. very iconic. <laughs> going to be exciting to return to those territories on this tour. For sure. Are you yeah. going to... Yeah, going to Burlington oh, nice. and Brooklyn. So nice, very keen. So you'll get the uh, the winter experience. Mm-hmm. And do you, what is winter like in Australia? Is it there? There borderline is no winter where I come from. <laughs> I haven't worn so much as a hoodie in like two years. <laughs> I feel that like it's, it's kind of like here. It's like you 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 have hot and not hot. Yeah, but like you know you don't get. Well, I come from Brisbane, which is the capital of Queensland, which is understood by the rest of Australia to be like the bumpkin state, although I do dispute that, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Nobody in the South We're kind of like the yeah. rednecks of Australia. We have yeah. that reputation, um, rightly or wrongly. But yeah, Brisbane, the capital, kind of just ranges from warm to unbearably hot. And that's, <laughs> that's just how it is. That's fun. So you just had your first uh, LA taco. What did you think of it? I I think I'm on the fence. <laughs> am I going to... Am I gonna, offend a lot of people maybe no you i I was genuinely curious because i think that when i first had an la taco i was like is this what everybody's been talking about and now i just go out to the perfectly i was perfectly happy with it but i think very spoiled in australia in terms of food and drink and coffee and all that kind of stuff it's it's just taken so seriously we were talking earlier like uh baristas in in australia they have to get a license. You're yeah, saying? exactly. Well, I was saying, well, they don't have to get a license. Like, I don't think it's illegal to make a coffee without <laughs> a barista's license. I don't think like the anyone's going to kick the door. In yeah, exactly. They're like, yeah, they're kicking down the door. But but um, I think yeah, it was, it's more like any you know a lot of self-respecting cafes just take it seriously, and if they're going to hire a barista, they want to know that you've done gone and yeah, done the like education. Culturally important. Yeah, it is culturally important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, in, in in Rome, like, well, was there like a coffee culture? Was there like? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like 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 everything, the Italians like really treat food with a great deal of respect. Like, you know, everything, even even like any random bar you go to in Rome or anywhere in Italy, 
you know that you're going to get a good cup of coffee just because the people there are going to care about making a good cup of coffee. Or I believe that. Plate, I'm imagining just this sweet old like man of <laughs> indeterminate age with a, like a salt and pepper moustache and yeah. he's just explaining to you the menu because he's invested so much yeah, time that's and thought like, into that's it. Yeah, that's, that's the entire vibe. It's great. Well, it's, it's funny. Like I, uh, and maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but I feel like in... Um, in like America, that would be impressive. When, yeah, hey, well, you know, it can talk every once in a while. You might hear like a toot every. <laughs> um, no, there's a like when Starbucks came to to the U.S. That was like the the first sort of foray into like artisanal coffee. I think like the idea that you can have like Starbucks. Yeah, well, yeah, that was, that was no, that was that was honestly it opened in Seattle in like the '90s, and it was like there was that joke just, in Frasier. Wow, you're yeah, there, there there was a joke in the first like episode of one of the first episodes of Frasier where like Frasier's entire character is that he's like snooty and like pretentious Mm -hmm. and he's like I'm gonna go and get my coffee from Starbucks Mm -hmm. and it's a very interesting detail was that him slumming it or was that no it was that was him saying in the time period that that was a that was a character detail that painted him as being kind of highbrow oh my god Starbucks was just in Seattle it was amazing I think what's interesting is Starbucks sort of became kind of like more on a mainstream thing the response is that you have all these like coffee shops popping up where it is like trained baristas making Mm. latte art and making all that stuff do you know that Starbucks quite famously failed in Australia. Really? Like they opened up a lot of stores and then there, there, it still exists in pockets, but most of them went out of business because there just wasn't the market for it because people, I, I guess maybe it's that snobbiness of mm. people were actually looking down on Starbucks. It's like <laughs> it's like the Maccas of coffee, the McDonald's of coffee. Well, what's, so. what's interesting is the founder of Starbucks said he would never open a store in Italy because he just knew, he just like was looking at it. He's like, I don't think this would work. Like mm. I don't think people would be into it. So there are no Starbucks in Italy until... Very recently, they opened one in Milan, and now they're like starting to like put them. Do you know in. how it's doing? Do I think know? I think it's doing fine because I think Italians like like American culture so much that I think they're enamored. Like any any Italians that leave the country and go to like London or America will be like enamored mm. with like the McDonald's and the Starbucks. But I guess the, the reason I brought it up was because like I grew up like my best friend was a barista and he would be in like these these really intense coffee competitions and I know like you know, know your girlfriend like in, in, in Cafe Nero and, and everything like there is to a degree a like level of coffee culture, but it's not, it's a little bit off the beaten path. Like it's a little bit like not part of our culture fully yet. Yeah. I think it defines like American city culture, like New yeah. York and, and Los Angeles and like major cities have like coffee culture. And Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having the latte art up on, mm-hmm. on there. Um, what What's the music scene like in Australia? Because I know you guys have like Triple J, but uh, you know, yeah, what, what I, I like get that question there? very often. I always fail to answer it adequately <laughs> because I've always been very isolated in the way that I make music and connect with the broader industry anyway. So I feel a, a, definitely a sense of loyalty and a sense of place to Australia, more specifically Brisbane, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And Triple J is hugely culturally significant, especially for people of my age group. But it's it's interesting because in my lifetime, it's kind of gone from, because it's a state-run radio station. So it's run by the ABC, which is like our taxpayer-funded news oh. organization. It's an offshoot of that. So it's publicly funded, but they've they've gone from being alternative to being the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Just because I guess they've they've had their finger on the pulse of what you know, well, it's like a di- when I first learned about it, it was like the principal discovery yeah, platform. Yeah, it basically yeah. is, which is wild because in other nations, it's always like you know the the hit radio station, or and what we have is like Hit One Hundred Five or Nova or like these the very pop centric radio stations, which are always considered the mainstream. But now the kind of alternative kid on the block, Triple J, has really become so dominant. Um, 
but I'm, I'm not really qualified to speak on that in any kind of <laughs> intelligent way. When you were first putting out stuff, and we'll, and we'll get to the, all that, but just like touching on it, um, when you were first putting out stuff, did you get attention from Triple J? Was that like uh, something you were aiming for when you were first starting out? I think the approach on my end has been broadly similar for all outlets. Maybe that's a weakness of mine, but I essentially just try to put the music out and just put it in as many places as possible to make it available and then see what happens from there. I never really pushed any specific outlet. Be like, oh, like, this is the thing. No, I, I, I think I appreciate that. I think, and I th- when the music's good too, it's, it's nice to like. Mm. You know, and that's the luxury of having a team as well, is because mm. I, I, I have a little bit of a distaste for any of the kind of specifics around releasing the music. Mm. I always prefer to just occupy as much of my time as possible with uh, playing it um, and writing and producing it as possible rather than thinking about the release. Well, so when you uh, when you were a kid in Brisbane, what sort of first got you into music? Like, did your family play? Did you? I learned piano from a young age, just because that's what you do. I think mm-hmm. if you go to if you you know you've got the benefit of a good education and some nice parents yeah. who <laughs> will pay for music lessons. So I learned piano. Took up violin for a while, but as you can tell from looking at me, my dimensions are <laughs> far too long for that. He's and a very, very tall awkward. person for anybody who uh, who isn't aware. I wasn't aware too. Like you know, because we've been messaging on Facebook so you mm. know you have a, a profile photo where it's like you know cropped up to uh mm. but you know when you when, when actually you, my agent said that to me the other day he really? was like he's like blown oh. away by how tall I was that's the thing I guess I just never really thought about it but yeah. like you were you know when I first saw you here you were in, in my living room and like your head was more or less brushing the ceiling <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've hit my head several times in this house yeah, this our house, house is not very tall friendly <laughs> definitely that is not. for sure um lucky like Noah and I are kind of short but um I might not survive to make do, it do you still tour. remember any of the violin stuff I'm sure if I had a violin in my hands right now, I could belt out a very shrill melody. <laughs> we have a violin in the back room. <laughs> and here it is. And here it is. <laughs> was there something you wanted to be when you were growing up? No, I think music? I wanted to be an author more than anything. That's I was awesome. write terrible fantasy stories, the kind that every you know young kid yeah. writes. Like, I think we were talking about it too. I think we also both wanted yeah, to we be both, we both authors. Wanted to be 100%. Authors there's, well. a, there's a boy in the wilderness. He has an idyllic life. Something happens. His family are gone. He finds an old hermit in the woods. The all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a whole series of, of books about a boy with like some crazy jungle tiger cat that it was his friend and they like went on adventures together. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'd read it. Uh, I, I had um, one where they were like, uh, it was a detective or something who was solving um, like cracks in the space-time continuum. Like, so somebody would get hit by a car, but it was a car from the Isn't 19- Time Cop a thing? Or, or, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Time Cop was a Van Damme movie from, the, I think, the 90s. But it, it was like a guy, get, a guy gets hit by a car, but the car is from like the 1960s. And so it's like, yeah. It was, I think that can happen today. I yeah, think they have was, cars from the 1960s. No, but like the car. You don't need a crack in space the, time. The car I like can go went find you through one. time. You, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a blockbuster idea, I think. It's like you Eureka know. or something. Yeah, right? No, but it's a. Less weird than Back to the Future so far. So you, you want to be an author. Uh, were you just, were you writing? Were you submitting anything to, to? Yeah, I went to writer's camps and things when I was in primary school. But it was, it was the wanting to be a writer that comes from. You know, it was that youthful exuberance of wanting to be a writer. I didn't really know what it meant mm-hmm. or what it would entail. Yeah. I didn't think about how I would get there or what it would be like even. I just thought, I like writing stories. That would be a great job. Well, I think in a lot of ways there is a translation from that to songwriting. Mm-hmm. I think songwriting is just a condensed yeah. version of a story. Yeah, to be honest, you're very correct. I mean, even when I was writing songs throughout high school and even throughout university when I was studying law, I was like, it was always more of a passion project and, and I thought it would be something 
vaguely in the back of my head that'd be awesome to do for a career, but never really, again, took steps as to how to get there or... Well, so when did you start writing music? Grade eight, or I suppose you guys would say the eighth grade. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, and it was at a street festival um, where my friend's band was playing and they were like this terrible pop punk band and they were like, you know, singing <laughs> all these Blink-182 lyrics. Um, and then I just thought that they were so cool at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I suppose that means they were cool. And then I just went and got out my dad's old um, electric guitar and started playing around, writing terrible, terrible Green Day knockoff type songs mm-hmm. and then never looked back from there. What was uh, what was the name of the pop punk band that you, like your, your friend's pop punk band and what was the name of the first song you ever wrote? Oh. God, that's a good question. I don't think I can remember what they were called. I remember other bands that he had later in high school. One of them was called Grape Soda. That's nice. great. That's they solid. were very popular. <laughs> I was definitely I was I was the um like I was a music kid in high school, but I was more on the fringes. Like there was my friend's band, um, my friend Rowan, was always the, like the music the guy music of my guy. grade. He was like super cool. Uh, started all these bands. Everyone was kind of like, yeah, that's the guy. He's mm. he's cool. And I was just kind of a little bit more. Reserved? Yeah. A little bit less confident, sure of myself. I was probably less good as well, to be honest. (laughs) Do you remember the first song you ever wrote was called? The Green Day Knockoffs. The first song that I ever wrote that I can remember, which is probably actually quite a few in, is called... (laughs) It's called Thank You. (laughs) And it's... Thank you. Yeah, I'd rather not talk talk about it. It's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) One of my friends who who was drumming with me at the time, we had like this little folk duo I suppose is the best way to describe it going on and he's still a really good friend of mine but he remembers that song and playing it and he can quote the lyrics at me whenever he wants to do you have make any, me any feel lyric embarrassed you could, I know you don't want to say it I, I almost I almost want for just all right to see you I'll be transparent yeah <laughs> for, for the I, honesty all I remember I think is is part of the chorus and it goes I just want to say thank you for showing me how it feels I want to say thank you for for making this feel so real Oh, I think, whoa. Okay. Oh, uh, God, it was terrible. It was. I think I had intended it to be about a breakup, although I'd never had a serious relationship at that <laughs> well, point. That yeah. And I just about, wanted yeah. it to be like, you know, you've given me this new emotion. Thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you. Like, <laughs> I'm a richer person now. But, but that's the thing that's, about like, that's, writing that's, songs at that time is like, you know, you, you have like, you know, floor rhymes with doors. So it's like, I saw you walk out the door. It's like, you've never gone out with anybody. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's. I feel like that's a weirdly mature way of approaching it, though. Like, thank you for, like, giving me the, the gift of emotion. Well, that's, I feel that's like what I'm, I thought at the time, obviously. I was yeah. like, no one's worked this angle. I'm <laughs> no, young, but young, young songwriters, it's like, you know, you either have to write about your parents, which always comes off a little bit too angsty. Yeah. Or you have to write about a relationship. You have to write about what you think in. breakup feels like. Because you've listened to enough breakup songs, you have, like, the vocabulary of it. And yeah, like, walk out the door, like, you said this, like, I can't forgive you, like, yeah. all these, like, phrases. But there are things there that are you things... have no connection to that you just want to throw in a song because that's what you're supposed to you saw it in Friends or yeah. Cheers. And like- I mean, there are so many lyrics that I love that I would never, ever dare write in my own music just because I feel like as long as something's sincere, I'm fully willing to accept it, you know, even if it is or, or appears lame. You know, like perfect example is all the pop punk that exists in the world, like mm-hmm. the golden hits of pop punk, I still have such a place in my heart for. Oh, absolutely. I, I still listen to Say Anything on the regular because there was just something like very candid about it. A bit funny too, you know, yeah. like um, what pop punk... Were you, like, inspired by at the time? Mm, I think I was listening to mostly Green Day, but nowadays I, I really like, you know, like, My Own Worst Enemy by Lit and oh, nice. all, all those kinds of slightly more obscure things. And I just like how nasal it is and, and unselfconscious. I hate my parents. Yeah. Fuck you, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. 
I was a big Blink-182 fan, too, obviously. Should we... Can we all start a pop punk band? Is that what we're doing after this? I think that's what we all have to I, do. I think you missed the beginning of this conversation where I said that I love it so much, but I would never dare <laughs> because I, it would feel ingenuine coming from me. Like I just have, I, I don't connect with any of those things personally enough to, to feel honest singing anything like that because, <laughs> I, you know, I just get on so well with my family. Education was good. Well, that's the thing. You know, in a stable you, relationship. Like I just yeah. have nothing to... <laughs> whinge about in that you, regard you, you listen to like these like really like heavy email artists who talk about like you know this person died or that person died and then you like look them up and they're like happy family men you know they, they like they're sad about touring because they have like a kid you yeah. know like there's you know you think that they're like these like edgy whatever and then it's you know i i just want to know like what a day in the life of like one of the lead singer of slipknot is mm. you know like just puts on the suit every day. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And I don't even want to get too much into the territory of of like if you're writing something that's not directly from your life, then that's dishonest in some way. And I don't. I, yeah. I'm not necessarily but, um, saying that. It's just like you know, we imagine. I think, especially when you're a kid, it's when just you, about what you feel comfortable yeah. with. Yeah. But you have what, to, like, what you can sort of sell as honest and, mm. and create an honest performance out of. Yeah, if it's honest in the moment, man, then you know. Well, and, and not to be like LA or whatever, but like you know, there's truth, and then there's your truth, and then there's like you know, you can you can sing truth even if it's not like I know a lot of people who say uh, that you know sometimes they'll write things that aren't about them but about a friend of theirs yeah. from their perspective. Um, I think Truffaut, the director, said. Everything I make is when it's not autobiographical, it's biographical. I'm like, that's interesting. It's like the human experience or whatever. Yeah. Um, what was the name of your first band? There were a lot of projects early on throughout high school. Um, well, I was just searching for an identity musically, as mm. I think my other my friend Rowan was as well. Like we were all just making bands, trying to come up with names, reinventing yeah. the sound, the image, making a new Facebook page every other yeah, week. So many Facebook one. pages, <laughs> yeah. my God. When that there were the first one was um. I think the one that I was in when I wrote Thank You was the Avant Bards. Whoa. Trying to be a, a bit of a play on avant-garde, obviously. Well, that's amazing. The avant And that was, you know, also obviously cringy. Um, and then there was... That's impressively punny, though. Then yeah. I went a bit more obscure. I started a solo acoustic folk project called Fox Goes Hunting. Ooh, that's a good name. That does sound like a folk project. Mm. Yeah. Fox Goes Hunting. And those are the two that really stick out in my mind. But I mean, there were there were there were quite a few. There were probably like six or seven that I, you know. I was, were you playing shows under these? Like, were you? I played some shows, yeah. Um, and, and were you? Was Spotify a thing at the time? Like, were you putting stuff? No, out? Spotify and just streaming in general didn't come on my radar until even a, just a couple of years ago. I'm um, like, I was, I'm very isolated from the industry. Were you recording your own stuff though? Were you like getting yeah, yeah, into yeah. like DAWs and like all that stuff? But only on the most basic level. Like, I would just open up even GarageBand and just record a few lines of something like some guitar and then maybe another guitar part over the top and then vocals, maybe a harmony if I was feeling adventurous. Well, I think what's really interesting about like, you know, especially producers, a producer needs to have imagination, but I think that, you know, the early demos of, of like whenever I hear early demos, you can always tell like, here's, here's the thing that you're hearing, but that's, here's like what they imagined it could be. You know, it's like when, when you didn't have the tools to necessarily make the full thing, you had the the building blocks of what could have been this like broad idea. Um, I, maybe I'm just speaking like projecting, but like especially when I, I would make like little demos in my head, it was always this whole big idea. But like, mm-hmm. you know, I listen back and it's this stinky piano and this like MIDI, like violin and everything, you know, was that the case for you? Was it like the, the building blocks of ideas? Definitely. It was everything in its rawest form. I was never messing around with the sounds themselves too much. Mm-hmm. Everything was just 
as it was. <laughs> yeah, just what you like could get get your hands on at the moment to like achieve the yeah, most basic and effect. In a lot of ways, I'm still very similar to that in the way I produce. Like, I mean, I tinker a lot more now, but I still try to stick to very simple building blocks and I never get too deep in the weeds of a sound. I'm more just, I'm a little bit more brutal on the level above that, which is just, do I even need this sound at all or this mm-hmm. part? And then just trying to cull as much as I can. Well, yeah. I think what's interesting about your production is that there's like a very healthy sense of minimalism and yeah. atmosphere. And so it does feel very deliberate. Um, and it's just, it's and cr- from song to song, like the palette is very well defined, which is really... I, That's I really something I struggled it. with for a long time. But it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a super interesting thing to think about for me is I always wanted a really strong palette but then once I felt like I kind of had it I also wanted to broaden it out a little bit and make because I'd I'd love to be able to have the more ambient relaxed chill songs and then also stretch that to a pop world but still have everything sound like a Yoss song. Well and we've talked about this before I think one of the things that inspired a lot of producers about the 1975 is that you could have songs that from a genre perspective occupy very different places absolutely because the sound design and the palette mm-hmm. is like mm. cohesive i think um, george the, yeah. the producer drummer yeah. of the 1975 his production is so beautiful Distinct. yeah and yeah. actually when i listened to when i first started listening to the 1975 a couple of years ago it was their early eps which i think they they did over a, a few weeks after they'd been writing songs for some time or yeah. maybe even after they'd recorded like a, a lot of their first they album were doing their, their yeah, yeah but, but it was their eps that really caught my imagination you know like i heard their hits i heard girls and settle down and yeah you know yeah. I, I thought they were awesome um for what they were as well but it was the early eps that had that real quirky kind of production that i hadn't yeah. heard much that's elsewhere where you, that's where you really heard george like yeah like I, I was reading an interview with him where he talked about that ep and like getting into production and like listening to like a lot of like brian eno mm-hmm. and like being inspired by like all this ambient music and all this experimental music and then applying that to like the stuff he was writing with maddie and then they linked up with some like larger older producer and he said he was really the person who explained like like helped him get the sonics like helped him hear the things that his brain was trying to get at that he wasn't able to execute at the time i think what's interesting about like the second record is that you could have a song like um change of heart next like next to if i believe you next to the sound and even though that like from a from a vibe and a feeling perspective, they're all so very different mm. from a sonics perspective. At the risk of this becoming a 1975 appreciation <laughs> slash deconstruction podcast, I, I really think that their third record is um, brilliant. Like, yes. yeah. I, like to me, I really enjoyed their second record, but uh, I think it was mostly their first that I that really caught my attention, like the deluxe edition that had all their EPs. Mm. And then their third, I was just really happy to hear how strange a lot of these, well, they were just taking risks. Like it still sounds very mm-hmm. much like the 1975, but. Yeah, but they were really pushing the boundary of like. And what? honestly, like like their first single, much in the same way that Love Me on the first record yeah. was was but like, well, yeah. this is such a talking heads yeah. kind of homage, and which they're still running with, obviously, which is awesome. But like, gi- like give yourself of- a try as the first single. Yeah. And that grating lead guitar Indeed, i instantly loved it rock guitar, it's like almost yeah. like aha though it's like almost like take on me yeah and know? i know like, a lot of people who were kind of a bit put off by that song at least a, a little bit or it's not their favorite on the record but i think it might be one of my favorites i just yeah. something about song. it is just yeah i i was always on the fence about it and then i heard a piano cover that somebody did i forgot who, who mm. did the cover but just really hearing the lyrics and mm-hmm. hearing like how it was all playing the together from the it. arrangement like it really it definitely really hit me but um i think and we were talking about Bill Wirtz earlier, but I think what, what's very cool about the 1975's new records is that there's a lot of risks that were being taken on the production side as far as like sound design goes, but there are also 
a lot of risks being taken thematically, I think, as just far as just saying something sincere that could come off as cheesy. Like the, you know, the Be My Mistake, it, it, mm-hmm. it plays a lot like a very old style love song without trying to do all these things to make it edgy or make it this. It's just, it's sincerity. You know, it's like, it's a... Uh, it's not postmodern. It's not ironic. It's this is the thing. Well, another one of my favorite too. songs on the record is "Sincerity Is Scary." For sure, yeah. Because and I really like the subject matter because it's something I think also a lot about is irony and its relationship to sincerity and yeah. how sincerity right. is undervalued in today's society. But now it's kind of those kind of ruminations have led me to be more comfortable with sincerity generally. Mm-hmm. Like that's why I think. As long as someone's sincere about something, it's... Well, there's that, that uh, Dave Foster Wallace, S-A-E, Unibus Plurum, which is more or less about how we first had irony as a means of, like, undermining class, like, classicism and, like, uh, like old-style mainstream, like, this is the traditional, this is how we have to do it. So irony subverted it, but then the mainstream co-opted irony to mm-hmm. be... You know, to because it sells, like you know, because we all get to be sort of in yeah, on the joke. See, see any recent Marvel movie? They're yeah, all self-aware and quippy, and that's like the self-awareness and the sarcasm is part of what mainstream culture is now. So you take it to the next. So you take it to the next level, level, which is what's the what's the what's irony of irony is just being sincere again. Mm-hmm. And so I think but that haven't that's, been through the ringer of like irony and sarcasm. It's like being aware of the audience and choosing to ignore it. Mm. So I, I think that that's been kind of what we were talking about again with Bill Wirtz, but also what I think is cool about the new 1975 record is that the sincerity is like a self-aware sincerity. It's like, oh, here's an audience, but I'm going to... It's an examined sincerity. So when when did the Yoss Project start? I think the Yoss Project is about three years old at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although the first year was very quiet. You know, I might maybe put out one or two songs, actually quite similar in the second year. Like I was just taking it very slow, just putting out a song when I felt happy with it or Was she here the first song? mm -hmm. Um, And so... Well, one, and I'd been messing around with my production skills before that because I'm only quite new to production as well. Like it, I'd been in various bands and they hadn't really worked out for, for, I just, I think for the struggles that a lot of bands face, which is just that once you start adding on members, everyone gets, you know, they have their own lives going yeah, on. It's hard to practice. Sure. It's hard to agree on the kind of music you want to make. Yeah. I think it was laziness on my part for a lot of years as to why I wanted to stay in a band because... I thought, oh, production's too hard. I don't want to take that up. You know, I'd rather just kind of have the song ideas and pass it along. And that was, um, yeah, just kind of foolish, I think. And then when I started doing it myself, after I'd made a few really rough tracks in preparation and I just kind of arrived at a sound that I felt was awesome, then I started releasing tracks. And so was, uh, so Shira was the first thing you put out. The the name obviously comes from Spirited Away. Mm. Uh, Was that movie an inspiration while you were working on the the song? I don't think I thought about it all that much, although it's obviously become a little bit of a running thing with my first EP at least, is I I just had the song finished and rather than pick a name from the lyrics or the subject matter, I just kind of thought I would take the general color palette and vibe of the song and uh, see what, what single word or name would match that in my head and that's why I went with Shahiro just because I'm a huge Hayao Miyazaki, Miyazaki fan and I just think his worlds in those films are so beautiful so well, well, I, I just picked the name and I thought that sounds pleasant and it reminds me of the sound of the song so yeah. I'll go with that Spirit Away I mean uh, the themes and, and it's been a while since I've seen the movie but the themes are, are of like appreciating what you what you have you know it's about like you know she's, she's arguing with her parents and then they become pigs and the whole thing is she realizes what she's she's I guess lost is that something, um, you know, those sort of trades or those sort of realizations, is that something that you sort of thought about in that creation? More than I realized, I think. Later on, 
I had uh, I was perusing the YouTube comments of a few of my songs, and I remember this quite clearly. Is uh, someone had written a comment about how it was written in a funny way. It was like, "Damn, this dude talk about how he can't run in in all of his songs or something like that." That's the voice I. <laughs> that's, that's, I that's the voice I remember it yeah. in. Obviously, I noticed that in in yeah two or three of my songs there were lyrics about not being able to run fast enough or. Hmm. just some discomfort associated with running, which was interesting for me because I had broken knees for several years that I had never noticed. And like, obviously I had, my knees were uncomfortable. I walked slightly strangely. My, my parents always noticed. We went to, you know, tried to get it sorted out for a couple of years, but could never really identify the problem. Turns out they were broken yeah. quite badly. Um, and it's just, it, in, it was just it interesting hurt? to me how that came out in the music without me realizing it. Did it hurt rather. you like to walk? Was yeah, that, it did. I, I, I literally couldn't run for many, many years. Wow. Um, so it, it made itself present in your songs. It's yeah. like when I think about Spirited Away, almost every scene she's running, you know, like not necessarily every scene, but I imagine like those big scenes where she's like running through the, uh, the ghost town and everything like that or running from the giant blob monster thing. I gotta rewatch that movie now. I'm like, <laughs> I loved Hal as a kid. I watched. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you have a song called Hal that just came out, but also like Calcifer. It's one of my favorites, also. Um, I really appreciate because Hal is a complicated movie. I don't even if you were. To, it's been a while since I've seen. That's it, what you? I love about the films as well. Yeah. I, well, some of the most magical films are the ones where you're dropped in. The world feels alive, yeah. but you only get the barest glimpse of it. Nothing, yeah. you know, very little is explained to you. That's what yeah. makes it so. Magical, you know, in Spirited Away or in House Moving Castle, you're just you're just glimpsing the world and you're following this story, and then the rest of events are just happening around it. You know, they're vaguely aware that there are events happening and there's a setting and there's culture, but you don't know. Well, I love yeah. like, not being to death with the exposition of it. It's yeah. all about my disdain for specifics, I think, and maybe <laughs> this goes back to my study of law and why I didn't enjoy it. Is because let's let's iron out every it, single point and every possible interpretation and pick one, and for me, that's just. <laughs> Really repulsive. Well, I think what's interesting too is that the inciting incident of those movies always feel very um, natural too. It's like you know, like Sophie was just walking around, mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, like howls up beside her because there's like that. Th- there's a th- I forget specifically why. I think somebody was threatening her, and next thing you know, they're flying. Like next thing you know, they're not even flying; they're walking on air. You know, and th- and that leads to the whole thing, but it. It's like here's a normal life that suddenly gets derailed, and that in a lot of ways feels more natural than like, you know, a, a lot of other movies where it, I don't know. It's almost like artificially slow building towards an inciting incident. But um, so you did you did get into you you are a lawyer. You are a lawyer. Technically uh, a lawyer. Yes, yeah. for my sins. Um, <laughs> uh, how did you how did you first get into that? Um, you, I mean, I assume you went to school for it and all that. And yeah, I think it was. I mean, there, there's a, a stunning amount of people in creative fields, um, that I feel like, that who are lawyers or who at least studied law hmm. and who, you know, eventually found it not to their liking or particular skill set and then decided to go elsewhere. And I think it's just a consequence of, of apathy a little bit and, and just general youthful uncertainty. You know, when you have certain aptitudes in school, like you're good at English and, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, you might do quite well in, in certain subjects in school, then law seems the natural next step. And it did to me, and everyone said that was a good path. And you know, I just never questioned it. What kind of law it. were you doing? Very silly. Well, would you, when you do a law degree, you just study every branch oh, yeah. of law. Well, that's not quite true, but there are certain subjects that are just mandatory, and then there are more obscure ones like immigration law, which you might choose to specialize in. Had you considered going to music school? Had you considered, um, or was that something that was like not? not I even- enjoyed music so much in high school that I definitely did consider 
studying music as a tertiary education option, basically. But the the options were the conservatory, which is excellent, and that, but that's where people go to specialize in classical music or mm-hmm. composition. It's taken right. very seriously, and I yeah. kind of just knew that that wasn't your it, world. Well, it would be great in a sense, but it also wouldn't have the freedom necessarily that I wanted. Well, I, my, well, I my true thought process was I was yeah. like, I'm I'm going to do music either way. I'm not going to do law either way. So I thought I might as well keep <laughs> mm-hmm. my options open, do law and do music on the side. And that's what I did. And to be fair, it has worked out. So For maybe sure. I shouldn't complain about it as much as I do. <laughs> um, well, yeah, because it's, it's funny, though, like a lot of the conversations that uh, when we were first talking that, that we had were about like the sort of conflict that you had about being in both worlds. It's I like, was a criminal lawyer then when we were speaking. Yeah, yeah, you were. Well, that, and that's that was interesting you were, at the very least, like of all the areas of law. So what was the thing that made you get out of law? What was the thing that finally was like, I want to give music my all? It just happened naturally. And it feels like, it, it kind of feels now like everything happened really fast. But I remember at the time feeling very impatient, putting out music and things were starting to go really well. But it was just so separate from my day-to-day life that it, it kind of felt strange to me. There was some cognitive dissonance there. So when I finally decided to leave, it was just because there was enough music going on for me to for it to justify taking up more and more of my time. Yeah. So you start the Yas project. How'd you come up with the name, by the way? Um, Thought of it in the shower. Nice. That's Nothing not, more simple than that. I think I was vaguely be. thinking in my head that I wanted it to sound Scandinavian. Huh. Like I was thinking <laughs> of, of like Jonesy from Sigaross. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so <laughs> I think that's worked to a certain extent. Except was it, for, it just randomly came to your, to your head? Well, yeah, I think I was just playing around with various pseudonyms. I knew I wanted it to be, I think, one syllable mm-hmm. and just, you know, quite recognizable. For everybody listening, it is one syllable. I've heard Yoste so many times. That like- yeah, although I'll never berate anyone for saying it how, you know, because I, I did just kind of make it up in my head. So if, if someone wants to be, you know, I've heard <laughs> I've heard Yoast, Yoste, Yoste. I'm really fine with whatever. Yeezy? Can I call you Yeezy? I think that's taken. <laughs> I feel like that might be taken. Uh, I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, so you put out Shihiro was, and that, that, is that currently your biggest, like the most streamed track of yours? Shihiro? Most streamed, yeah. I don't know um, if it gets the most streams per day anymore. It might do. Um, um, how, how? But it's certainly shortly, been around the longest. Soon. How shortly after it, you know you put it out did it start getting the attention? It was a slow build. I think I think most of my songs have been. You know, I just started putting them out, and I didn't really have any kind of direction or, or purpose did you have around a team the at release. That point no, too, no yeah. team. I just yeah, it was very much the put it out, see what happens, and then over time it started to get into the laps of the right people. I wish I had more specific advice than that. But I think, yeah, really the only thing to do is make stuff that you're keen on and then just keep putting it out. I mean, I think obviously you guys are way more skilled at actually strategizing. But I would say almost to a detriment. Like I think that we, uh, and we were talking to our manager about it yesterday. Like I feel our sonic identity is not necessarily as strong as as somebody like you. I don't know about that. Like I feel like your recent tracks of... um, got a real sense of unity about them well that's the thing the recent stuff we've been really trying to be like like this the past is three or four are. i've yeah. heard it's like yeah i think i think we're circling around something but i think we've but when we were first starting we were like okay well what does the playlist want what does this want? but it's also like, like you made me was the first was my first stab at electronic music in general and our first stab at so we were just so making was, references so there was from no like, like there was no period beforehand where we got to like work on sound i got to work on being a producer like the journey of me as a producer is very much publicly the journey of Sleeping Lion in our releases. Um, and and I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you the, the origin story another time, but because of how we started, there was a sense of urgency to put out music as quickly as possible, which if I were to like give ourselves advice, um, you know, 
now it'd be like, if you don't have anything out, just wait, make a couple things, find your favorite, come up with a, a plan and everything as opposed to just like shooting from the hip. But yeah, I think when we started, there was definitely a sense of urgency, which is why I like I have such an appreciation for your like diligence in like the sonics, like the fact that throughout the years, there's been a cohesive sound to what you're doing, you know? I guess maybe that's what I find so inspiring about Miyazaki is he has that that world and it feels earnest and it feels complete. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to achieve the similar thing with the music. You know, I want to be able to listen back to it and it to take me to that place and yeah. feel, just give you that very specific feeling that you had when you made it. So you uh, you came into our lives sonically uh, with Moon. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'll be honest, I don't remember where I heard it. Maybe it was like a Discover Weekly. Probably Discover. I feel like something. I came into your life and then it's been subjected <laughs> upon Noah. That's, that's more accurate. I was, I was going through like a pretty bad breakup and like walking around Boston. <laughs> and the song I listened to on repeat, uh, um, like sort of right when it happened was Double by Black Bear. Mm-hmm. But that song was making me angry. Like, you know, I was, I was sad in general. And then when I listened to Double by Black Bear, I was, I was like angry and snarky. I wasn't liking that, like what that person felt like mm. necessarily. And then I hear this song, but nothing, no other songs, no other songs would hit me in any kind of real place. Like I felt sort of numb to music in general. And then... That feeling sucks. Yes, I, I've definitely a, had that feeling as well. Sometimes you just, it's, it's almost like you get music sick, like when you eat too yeah. much. Yeah. If you listen to too much, sometimes it's nice to just have silence or just listen to a to podcast. Or it's like when days. you eat just a lot of chocolate yeah. and like at a certain point you just stop losing like the ability to taste the flavor of chocolate yeah. and mm. or taste just, like. You just get sick. It you just, just, yeah. yeah. It's, just, yeah. Um, it's such a, it's such a tragic thing because it's such a, fu- music is such a fundamental part of all our lives and most people's lives. And when you, it's, it's just at certain points for some reason, it just feels as if you, you just can't listen to any music and enjoy yeah. it. I especially feel like, as you know, I spend so much of my day making music mm. that when people are like, "Oh, have you heard this new song?" I'm just like, "That, that sounds a little exhausting to, yeah. to be in that." Like, I've been in that world all day for my job. I don't necessarily want to go there on my free time. I had a friend who was like, "If you have five minutes left to live, what would be the last thing you listen? Like, what would be the last song you listen to?" I'm like, "If I got five minutes left to live, I'm not listening to music." <laughs> like. Uh, spend enough of my life doing that. I don't want to spend the last That's five in, minutes that thinking about... That in law is what we'd call a leading question. A leading question? Yeah. I, and I, I would object to that if I was on the other side. <laughs> Do you what? say I object a lot? Do you still say I object a lot in your daily life? <laughs> what habit? is a leading question? How does that... Well, it, it, it contains a lot of assumptions that haven't been established. Like, for example, in that question, it was, you know, what song would you listen to if you only had five minutes left to live? And then you're assuming incorrectly that you would want to listen to a song in your last five minutes rather than anything else so it's like so you know you so when you were in this location what what did you see and you know they haven't established that you were there or anything like oh, that yeah so so the, it's, a, it's a way of kind of tricking somebody into mm-hmm. saying something by by making the assumption that they were yeah. there in the first place yeah but yeah so but when i heard moon it really hit me because it let me be and, and when we we wound up talking about it, the word you use, and I love this word, was resigned. Like the, what I was trying to feel was sad, but understanding. Mm. And I think that there was, there was something about the song that felt melancholic and complicated that hit me in a very real way. Enough so that like, after listening to it a couple times a day for, you know, for a couple weeks, I like finally hit you up to talk about it. I didn't expect you to re- reply, let alone for us to become like pen pals for two years. But uh, it was um, it was a very special song at the time. And I think I had to like downplay a little bit how 
important the song was to me to not like freak you out, but it was just the right song at the right time. If that was um, downplaying it, then <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I think I definitely. I mean, downplaying it for a New Yorker, like uh, there was. I was a, very appreciative because I think at that point, and I mean, even still today, like it's 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 really nice when people they won't just say, you know, I, I dig this track or I love this track, you know, something that seems maybe a little bit flippant or throwaway, whether it is or not. But when someone you know takes the time to write you like a little paragraph about how a song has affected them, then yeah. you're like, wow. Well, and I think we talked about it once uh, online, but like my. Like my relationship with you and my relationship with this song are two very different things. Like they almost feel like separate from each other. That it's like that's this, totally fair. Yeah, this song has like a life of its own for me because of the time and place. Whereas like you know we've had enough conversations that uh, you know how we interact is is sort of outside of it. But yeah, it's really foolish to assume that music or anything exists in isolation. It, or as some sort of like experience is a, so... some sort of thing like attached to a person. Like if anything, you put out a song and it's. It's separate from you Yeah, now. it becomes separate from you. But uh, there's a lyric you wrote down for, for our wall um, that I actually, I, t- I told you was one of my favorite lyrics from the song. Can you can you say it? Yeah, I may have been swayed by that. <laughs> you know, th- th- I, I might have tried to move the needle in a... Because <laughs> you told me to pick a lyric, and there is one that I pick very often, which is from Ark, yeah. In the Warmth of Your Glow, I'm All Right, um, which I wrote about my girlfriend, broadly. That's so sweet. Um, but just because... It's one of my more optimistic lyrics and people have seemed to connect to it. But the one that I chose today was um, from the beginning of the chorus of Moon. And I shall recite it now for Mm. you. (laughs) Um, And it's, uh, I'm clawing like a wolf cub hanging from your cuff. The water's at your knees, love. You're talking like a stranger. You really like that line, mm-hmm. and I like that line as well because it reminds me of a sense of inevitability, and that pairs really nicely with the emotion of resignation. We because talking, I think there's two yeah. ways you can kind of react to the inevitable, and one is to rage against it, which is also an interesting dynamic. But mm. what I was going for at the time is that kind of um, melancholy acceptance of it. And we were talking about it uh, last night, but I think the, the reason it resonated with me at the time was because it, it's almost this image of like, you know, shit really hitting the fan, like all this stuff sort of like very slowly building and coming towards you. And the person that you trust the most, like the person you want to talk to the most about it is now a stranger to you. Mm-hmm. I remember that feeling being so specific to like what I was feeling at the time, to a degree where maybe I'm even, I was even projecting, but like that that's... Oh, definitely. But the music is designed to be projected upon. Sure, I think yeah. most music is, because what's interesting is when I conceived of the lyrics, as I have in a couple of my songs, it's more of a, it's, it's more a dialogue with myself. Like when I say you're talking like a stranger, yeah. I'm actually talking about some of the thoughts that I'm having that I don't recognize where they've come from. Well, so. that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you, you know, you've been with your, with your girlfriend for a while. And so when we were talking about it, when we first had the conversation about Moon, like almost a year and a half ago, um, you were saying that it was a lot about how your relationship to yourself, mm. and, 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 which I thought was such an interesting dynamic as well. Um, but that, yeah, I think a lot of your lyricism is is poetic and, and broad, but also very specific at like very pointed moments, which is very cool. Um, what, what, uh, cause you just put out a new record. What inspired some of the themes, um, around the new album? I think my, my debut EP, which has just come out as was really, it, well, it was assembled over a couple of years. As I said, the songs that I'd been putting out over the big, the very beginning of the project. So that's why it feels like a nice starting point. But thematically, it was really revolving around a sense of 
isolation and listlessness and, you know, the general lack of direction I felt caught between the law stuff and the music stuff and, and beyond that, questions of existentialism that I think every, like, young uh, 20-something-year-old grapples <laughs> yeah. with. What is the point of anything, you know? Yeah. Anybody, anybody who thinks too much realizes that there's, like, no point to anything. Definitely. And then you have to, like... Stitch meaning to back yeah, together. And that becomes a bit scary, yeah. So definitely a lot of those kinds of feelings. Well, because then you have there. a responsibility to it. You're yeah. like, okay, wow, if, if meaning is not inherent, then whose job is it to create meaning? Yeah, and, and I, I think job. a lot of that is probably a privilege of my relationship as well because romantically I've been kind of really happy for a long time. So I've had to look for dissatisfaction and angst and tor- torment in other subject More fundamental matters. Ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Though, yeah. I mean, maybe that speaks to the human condition. Is yeah. that like, if you don't, you know, you'll always find, be Gotta able to problem. find something to claw <laughs> yeah. out. You make, uh, yeah, you, you, even sometimes you make problems. I mean, there's that great uh, Julia Michaels line from Happy. It's like, sometimes I think I kill relationships for art. Yeah, and I mean, in a sense, it's it's a really kind of bougie problem to have. Yeah. Do you guys oh, have that sure. term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bougie, we're good. For bourgeois, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have to we check. We had bad and bougie. I'm, I mean, that was having, a big song, yeah. Yeah, I'm having a hard time communicating with Uber drivers in the States, so <laughs> I just have to check. I, I mean, I, I learned some um, some uh, Aussie-isms from you. Uh, you learned some phrases, here. yeah. Is spanner in the works? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. You uh, didn't know what a spanner was? Which I don't know what a spanner was. Yeah. I feel like your Australian friends who are listening to this are going to be like laughing at me, but like all of our American friends. Well, are I'm slightly concerned this. that all yeah. my all my Australian friends are going to be like, I've never heard that phrase, <laughs> and it turns out I'm just very opaque in my communication. <laughs> well, a little bit of a lightning round, like maybe just drop some Australianisms. You, I, the word for electrician today, uh, Sparky. Sparky, I love that. That's fantastic. It's cute, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. we've got a lot of cute colloquialisms. Most of them ending with ie. Right. Crocky. <laughs> yeah. So anyone who practices a trade is a tradie, obviously. Mm. All that kind of stuff. That's interesting. There's another expression. That you and yeah, for crocodiles, right? we have like salty for saltwater crocs. Oh wow. Freshies for freshwater crocs. I mean, it's a difficult code to. <laughs> it's to like how Eskimos have all these words for snow. It's like we have crocodile and alligator. You know. <laughs> so, so you're saying that there is this like existentialism that you're toying with. Like, what what are the sort of philosophies that you're chewing on right now? Because we talk about that pretty you know pretty regularly. Like, what's mm. what's been like sort of gnawing at you? Recently? I've come around to optimistic nihilism recently. Mm. Like, I'm I've for kind it. I've kind of scaled back quite a bit on just the nihilistic stuff that I was yeah. enjoying for a while um, or kind of masochistically enjoying. But but now I think you can resolve, a, or at least I can resolve a lot of issues in um, just just as they are. I mean, my second EP, um, I've already got the title for it, which is related to those kinds of philosophies. I probably shouldn't disclose it. <laughs> but it, it, it just relates to, to being satisfied with how things are and not overthinking things as much. And in a lot of ways, the subject matter is going to be a lot more earthy, just like centering in on more specific relationship dynamics and friendships and romantic uh, issues that, you know, the people around me might be going through. I just kind of feel like it's um, time for me to start delving into some more earthy topics. Do you have a favorite song on the record that just came out? Yeah, I think it probably is Ark, the first track. Mm. I like Ark and I like Ark uh, stripped as well. I think it's really nice. Mm. Who's the the other voice, the uh, the high? My sister. Really? She's on a couple of the tracks actually buried in there in backing vocals and samples. She might be on quite a few. That's cool. She's a great singer. I think she's in Shihiro. I, I sampled her voice at the start. Ark, definitely she is. And um, Howl as well. She does some backing vocals. That's like some John Bellion stuff. It's right very yeah. easy. She For a long time, I could just you know call her into my room and <laughs> she would just take five minutes, listen to the track, and I would say, just, you know, let's do this kind of thing, and then done. Does she do music stuff as well? Yeah, she's a very talented singer, much 
pretty of and, so, te- and it's technically so airy better and, voice and, than mine. And bright, I think. Yeah, she has yeah. probably the loveliest voice of um in my family, but she's also um, got a lot into art recently. So she's mm. she's at art college. My other oh, sister's wow. a model. Like we're a very artsy family now, and it all just kind of happened by accident. It's all creative. <laughs> yeah, well, like, we were. I mean, I suppose Evie, do? who's the youngest um, and who sings on my tracks, she has always been the most clear in her <laughs> direction. You know, she always knew she was going to do something artistic. I think, or well, what did at least it appears that way to me. She may have wrestled with the same issues that I did, but as it, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like you know, whatever is on the surface, there's always going to be something like undulating that, like absolutely, you, you know, people trying to figure out this stuff. What do your parents do? They both work for the ABC, actually. So the mm-hmm. Oh. The broadcasting network that is kind of taxpayer funded in Australia. You know, they both work on, um, they're both related to news basically. My mum's a news producer and my dad's a cinematographer and oh, wow. they both have been their entire careers. That's so cool. they're, they're both kind of arty careers, That's, but yeah, also earthy are... in certain ways. Like mum's very intellectual in her own way, very smart, very hardworking. My dad is um, kind of the opposite in all the right <laughs> ways, like hardworking, but um, I, I don't want to say that he's, not in an intellectual sense, but, you know, he's a smart guy, but he's definitely not intellectual in the same way that my mum is. Like, he doesn't relish, uh, like, ideas about um, philosophy or, right. or grammar in, in much the same way. Like, my mum takes her work as a journalist so seriously and For she sure. really loves stories and constructing them in the right way and mm-hmm. having and the sentence structure and, be just right. Yeah. And Dad's curious about all that stuff, but but really he's more artistically minded in the sense that, you know, he, he'll obsess over shots and, and making sure that the colour is beautiful and the mm-hmm. lighting is right. And it's a really nice... I mean, cinematography is interesting because it's like yeah. it's it is a such a creative field, but also very technical. So you know, he has that like blend. Yeah, that's stuff. true. He definitely has a lot of um, technical knowledge buried in there. Um, I'm kind of like the worst of both worlds, like vaguely intellectual, like my mom, and but not as hardworking well, I think, I think, in that sense, and not as hardworking as my dad. But, but I do think that that pairing of the more intellectual, heady with the more aesthetic, like and technical and beautiful, like does make for like your job as like a writer producer. Noah's sort of grinning because I, at least I'm reminded of his parents. Like, you know, I feel like your dad and your mom are sort of operating those. Yeah. My my dad, my dad is, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of, uh, parallel, but my dad is very pragmatic and, and, and thinking and, and he's very sweet, but he's very, just very unemotional and Mm. very technical. Um, and very thorough with everything he does. My mom is a lot more emotional and a lot more immediate. And, yeah, it's and, interesting. And dealing with. I always think of my my parents as quite uh, emotional and compassionate as well. But it's funny because we're definitely not one of those families that are always like, "I love you, I love you, I love you." Whenever you <laughs> enter or leave the house, that kind of thing. Like it's actually quite rarely said, but it, but it feels understood anyway. So I never mm-hmm. I never felt you know unloved yeah. or unsupported. Obviously, I definitely. Really but it's it's just funny because I noticed like when I was at the airport coming on this you know very long tour. Obviously, my dad was there, and I could tell that he was a little bit you know sad and like have a good time. And he just like slapped me on the shoulder, and that was one of those moments. Yeah, where I'm yeah. like, oh, that's so cute. You know, it's it's a kind of a thing where it's yeah, like it's hard to. It's a small thing. But it's, it's like, like well, my my, right, my yeah. parents <laughs> are both uh, very very emotional, very emotional, um, and but not very intellectual. Uh, my like my grandfather is very intellectual. I come from like a, a like my, the older people in my generation in my my family uh, are a lot more intellectual, but my parents are both emotional. My mom, an improv like drama teacher. My dad, like a business coach and motivational speaker. So there was a lot of talking in the in the house, which explains explains you. Yeah, <laughs> but but what to say is that the sort of appreciation of intellectualism did not come from them. I don't think that like. In fact, if I if I would talk about like something that fascinated me to like my mom or my dad, I think it exhausted both of them quite a lot. I think my mom would sort oh, well, of say... Oh, I can relate to that. I drove <laughs> my parents insane. Yeah, that's the thing. I think my mom would be like, 
oh, I'm glad you're happy about it, you know? Like, not necessarily engage with it. And, and my dad would be like, he would literally say, I run out of bandwidth. Yeah. <laughs> my, mom, my mom will come home from a long day of work sometimes, and, and I'll be over in the kitchen, and, um, you know, I'll just, she'll walk in the door and be like, hey, sweetie, how you going? And I'll be like, let's talk about free will. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I just can't at the moment. Well, my, <laughs> mom just, my mom just <laughs> I, visited I and, I, and I was just sort of like, you know, it's been so complicated because, you know, irony was like co-opted by the mainstream. And then, you know, there's this post postmodernism, which is like uh, an idea of like sincerity, but like being aware of everything. And, and my mom just looks at me, she's like, it must be so exhausting being you. <laughs> I'm like, she said it in this, like, not even like in a mean way, just like in a very sincerely, like, I don't know if vexed is the right word, but like a very sincerely... Vexed is a great word. I love that <laughs> word. I, I, even if it's not the right word, I just want to use it because it's just like, it's just it's a specific feeling. But she she said it not to be mean. She said it more like, 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 woof, like, whoa, like, <laughs> that's a lot, you know? Um, which I guess, you know, when you, when everything that you think about has like layers, mm. you know? Um, okay, so I, I haven't read these in advance other than I read them in 2009. These are from uh, like the Facebook questionnaires that would circulate when you were in uh, So this is from a school. 2009 Facebook questionnaire? Yes. Yeah, uh, so if there's wow. any questions about AIM, you'll understand. Okay. Um, we'll just go through until we're bored. What uh, color is your favorite hoodie? Oh, I mean, as I said at the top of the show, I really don't wear hoodies very often. My favorite color is probably pastel blue. How are you feeling right now? <laughs> I feel pensive. Do you say okay. AIM or AIM? <laughs> I think I, I would just say I am. I think like instant messenger. But it was also like MSN, I think, was the main thing when oh, I was yeah. in. Do you floss? I do floss. What comes to mind when I say cabbage? <laughs> A cabbage comes to mind. Does that mean I'm boring or, or literal No, I think, I think that's the right answer, honestly. I mean, health. I'm obsessed with health and living for a long time. So, Do you bite your ice cream or just lick it? I'm a licker. <laughs> Do you like your hair? Do you like your hair? I do. I do like my hair. <laughs> uh, my answer to this question, this next question, by the way, was my answer was uh, kill switch engaged. But uh, what yes. are you listening to right now? In the present moment, nothing. But oh, I mean, <laughs> the last song on my Spotify might have been by Benjamin Francis Leftwich. I was just listening to some of his new stuff. Oh, would you go skydiving? I don't think so. Wow, sorry. Some, I'm just going through these questions. A lot of them are very dated. Like, <laughs> do you rent movies often? Or would you get uh, lunch with George W. Bush? So I'm going to skip over those. Um, I would get lunch with George W. Bush now. Absolutely. That'd be a fascinating conversation. Like, how's your painting going? And like, it's going great. Mm. Do you use chapstick? No, I use... Um, my girlfriend has, has absolutely convinced me of the terribleness of things like chapstick. So I use... Uh, products that have industrial medical grade lanolin in them. Apparently, oh, that's what you got to look for for all your lip care needs. Okay. So I've been fully converted on that front. Um, no, chapstick is, is for plebs. I'm sorry. Can you use <laughs> chopsticks? Chopsticks. Yes, I can. From chapsticks to chopsticks. <laughs> I like it. And then there was like, what was the last CD you bought? I think I'm going to move on from that one. You know uh, what the first CD I ever bought was? The first and only physical CD I ever owned. Which one? was Nickelback. Ooh, which Ooh. record? The one that had photograph on the, it uh, when I was in like oh. when I was in the fifth grade. Wow. My first one was Metamorphosis by Hilary Duff. Wow, that was, that I think that's the same as it. my girlfriend actually. <laughs> Shout out to your girlfriend for having great taste. Great yeah. taste. Um, what's your favorite book? That's a, a tough one. It would probably be some fantastical fantasy book or some tragic self help book. <laughs> uh, and what's your favorite movie? Probably since we're talking about Hayao Miyazaki so much, it 
probably one of one of his. Maybe Spirited Away, maybe Howl's Moving Castle, but they're also kind of fascinating in their own way. Favorite TV show? I mean, I probably would have said Game of Thrones recently, but I mean, <laughs> we were all hurt by the last couple of seasons as it, you know, breezed past the books. But as yeah. it goes, yeah. Uh, do you have any tattoos? No, I don't. I'm I'm so incredibly boring and unmusician like in, <laughs> in my um, personal care and style well, actually, choices. Which reminds <laughs> me, how did you bring in the new year? I think I didn't get drunk amongst some of my very close friends and then I jumped in the pool and kissed my girlfriend. It was great. <laughs> it's funny because awesome. we, we've had pretty much everybody who we've interviewed on the show has been in like long-term relationships. Is that right? Yeah. Just, Do you think it's coming back? Is it a thing? <laughs> <laughs> I guess people are still doing it. I don't know. I'll get back to you on that one. Uh, but yeah, everybody we've had on the show so far has had long... So almost all of the New Year's questions. I'm looking for like... I'm looking for real debauchery. Yeah. And everybody's yeah. had these like, like I very... woke up in a limo, <laughs> upside down. And I, I feel very self-conscious when these kinds of line of questioning comes up because I'm so aware of how straight edge I am in my in my day-to-day life. I mean, so I, I, don't, I don't have tattoos. I look, you gotta bike look around elsewhere every day. In terms of debauchery. For I'm sure. Afraid. No, I, I don't think that there's anything like cool about not having your life together. I think if you're going to go down the place of debauchery, know where your safe area is. Yeah. Do you sleep with the TV on? No, but sometimes I do fall asleep listening to audiobooks or podcasts. Do you like your life right now? I do like my life right now. That's a sweet question. Yeah. That is a sweet question. Good job, 2009 Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> probably wasn't him, to be fair. Yeah, it was probably some Tumblr person. Some Tumblr person. Can you handle the truth? Yeah, these are weird. That's a deep question, actually. Can you handle if the truth? You yeah, I mean, as a lawyer, what's your relationship to well, truth? Well, if I were Jordan Peterson, I'd be like, well, it, it depends what you mean by truth. <laughs> Let's talk about that for a second. For those listening, who is Jordan Peterson? Oh, do you, are you not familiar? He's like this very controversial of the moment psychologist from Toronto who I think um, made his debut by, oh God, I've got us down a real rabbit hole here, but he's, he's essentially he's a clinical psychologist and gotcha. some people find him very controversial and offensive, but among his less controversial things, uh, he just kind of advocates personal responsibility and, and looking after yourself before you um, start to criticize the world and, and these kind of big systems. Do you like blue cheese? No, I'm a not much of a cheese person either. Would you be a pirate? Most important question. No, I don't think so. Am I the first note of that? No, no you're you are the, the you are the fourth note, note, of note of that. Yeah, being a pirate would be awful. <laughs> no, why is, does everybody say that? You have to I worry be about scurvy. So are you thinking of Jack Sparrow type piracy? I don't know. I'm thinking of like having my own boat and sailing yeah, on the water I think and he not the getting idea scurvy. Of being a pirate. I mean, if I was in Pirates of the Caribbean. As um, as it is in the movie, where they cut away from all the awful parts of being at sea for months on end. I think that's the thing that would do it in for me. That's why I wouldn't want to be a pirate. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I mean, you know, the beautiful islands, sure. I would just love to like be on the water and like find you, you little islands. You can do that. <laughs> Go be a sailor right now. And we play, and and we play he also poker. Wants to be an outlaw. And I have a crew. Yeah. You and can we avoid all the things. murder and scurvy and. Not knowing who parts. to trust. Probably like every day you wake up, you might get killed by your best Sword man. Sword fights. I think this has led me to question your character. <laughs> I'm just very excited about the idea of that being a pirate. I think we're just waiting for the, for the right guest to be like, yes, I think about this constantly. I want to be a pirate. I, I'm going to put like a little bit of like a gentleman's bet down here. But like I have a feeling that the person who has the debaucherous New Year's story will also be the one who wants to be a pirate. And I will live for that moment. I can't yeah, wait. I, I, you need I, some I, more adventurous friends. 
I don't know. I kind of I kind of like having these stable friends because we get to talk about like the hard road to stability. Like I think <laughs> <laughs> what everyone's interested in. Yeah. yeah, I mean we're all on it. You came for the debauchery, but you're not getting it. And so now let's, the talk about, let's talk <laughs> about Voltaire for, for thirty minutes. But yeah, I think there there is something about stability in music that feels almost like an oxymoron, but has been almost like everybody we've we've talked to so far. That's been like the the. I don't know, the glowing light. That yeah, like, well, on a serious note, I feel like music is obviously such an enormous part of my life and I take it very, very seriously. But at the same time, I recognize that being a complete person is more than identifying with one thing, more than just your career, even if it's your artistic passion and it comes from a really deep place within you. I think kind of just for your own sake as a person, you have to recognize that you could learn to be happy without those things. And yeah. it, it's more about there's so much to a complete life in terms of, enjoying your physical body and your health and your relationships and well, we were talking everything to, that you do. We were talking to Sarah from, from Transviolet about it, but um, there's that great quote from Zen, The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, where it's like the steps, the two steps to making perfect art. Step one, be a perfect person. Step two, make art. You know, it's like the idea that how you are taking care of yourself is so important. And so, so I don't know, you know, obviously debauchery has like fun stories, but by and large, like... There's a place for debauchery. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. But I think that like having a certain sense of stability or at least knowing where your friends are at the very yeah, least. I don't want to be dogmatic about <laughs> stability and, and, and health. <laughs> but I think even, everybody, even too st- much obsession with health is obviously unhealthy in certain ways. Yeah. yeah. Although I, th- I think what's interesting about all the people we've been interviewing who are stable, I think music is, like doing music by yourself. I feel more and more pressure the more I'm described as stable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, just, I feel I, it's stacking I, on. I don't, think, like, I don't think stable is necessarily... I'm more likely this, to yeah. go off the edge. Yeah, no, but I, I, when we talk about st- stability, it just means like having a, a certain level of comfort. I mean, obviously making music is an uncomfortable thing. You yeah. have to want more than you have. And you have to be ambitious. Well, and those are all uncomfortable well, I think, things. I think but working in music means being comfortable with on things that aren't predictable, and I think yeah, definitely. A lot, how, the way a lot of people deal with that is you control what control you can, what control. you can control, yeah. and, and you make you you know control the things in your life that you can. So I feel like music actually pushes people to be really self sufficient and really analytical You're of their own life. You're probably right. That's a little bit of a, a pop psychological well, evaluation of me, but I think it's <laughs> spot on. Well, we were talking about rock climbing earlier. I think it's it's sort of similar. It's like knowing that you know you can take the next climb because you have this stability and support back here like if the foundation's not good then you don't have that that thing to move to the next part that was a rock climbing metaphor That's brought, beautiful. To you, <laughs> brought to you by the lions but yeah it's a uh, i don't know i think yeah i don't want to like harp on like stability but i think that it is interesting how uh, the friends that we, we've talked to so far have there's been this thread of really taking care of yourself whatever that means to you like whether that's you know, yoga and hiking and everything or just like knowing who your friends are and knowing who you can trust and, and, and knowing what you have a certain level of like control over in your life as opposed to, you know, debauchery. <laughs> Do you guys have the, the phrase spot on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Spot on. Yeah. <laughs> bang on. Bang, bang on? Bang we on. don't have bang on. That's a British thing. That's a British thing. Mm. But uh, but you're in the US now. You are You're on a tour yeah, um, what are some phrases that I should be armed with? Mm. You ever heard uh, "throw the baby out with the bathwater"? Yes, that's a good got one. Got that one. Uh, apparently, I, I just learned swing a dead cat. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, like you ever heard the like not oh, enough for him to swing a dead cat? Yeah, something like that. Or like, yeah. you well, like swing you, a dead cat around here without yeah, hitting exactly. X a musician. Thing. Yeah, um, uh, uh, I I really like um, like 
the pot calling the kettle black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that one. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll like you know. You Although can... to be fair, I don't think I've ever understood that. It, it, I've heard it about a thousand times, but never really thought about it. I think it's kind of it's not like calling somebody a hypocrite. It's it's more just uh, poking at somebody's um, lack of self awareness. So being mm-hmm. a hypocrite is when mm-hmm. somebody says don't do this and then they do it. Whereas like pots and kettles, I'll say like oh pots and kettles, or I'll say um, said the pot to the kettle. Um, it'll be like if I were to say you talk too much. You know, you, you could then shoot back to me, said the pot to the kettle. But it's also like, is are both pots and kettles black? Oh, I mean, or is, are they both <laughs> vessels for tea? Like, what, I feel like, like this what, is a leading question. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I feel like there's a lot. There's a, it is leading the question a bit to just be like the pot. It, there's a lot of assumptions that go into that, making sense. Mm. But yeah, like as I said to you last night, I wasn't expecting to have so many communication issues in LA. <laughs> like, I was in the Uber and we were driving past some beautiful hills and houses, and I. It looked like a park to me, and I was like, "What's this park?" And I left, and he's like, "What's that? What? That park? <laughs> you're trying to say park? Oh, oh, you're from Australia? <laughs> Spiders, right?" <laughs> and I, I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> you, when, when you told me about that interaction, I I turned red because literally one of the first things I said to you is just like, "So how are the spiders in Australia?" Like that's for some reason the thing. Yeah. To be fair, there are. Some big spiders. I saw a, a rattlesnake while I was hiking once. So that was scary. There's a snake in Zimbabwe. The, the black mamba is one of the more poisonous snakes in the world. They call it the two-step snake. Because if you get bitten by it, you take two steps and then you die. Isn't the black mamba like the one from um, Kill Bill? Yes, I think so. Yeah, that's the... that's the. Did you ever see Kill Bill? No, I don't think so. Uh, one of the characters gets... Spoiler! One of the characters gets bit by a black mamba. But I think the character who gets bit by the black mamba is also named black mamba. Ironic. Uh, isn't it? Yeah. We did also, have a lengthy discussion about irony the other day. True. Well, we were talking less about like irony and like the postmodern si- system like the last like last night and more talking about um, when people misuse the word irony to talk about like coincidence. Mm. Um, Although I do feel like there's there are about eight separate uses, valid uses of irony. So it's easy to stumble into one without even realizing it. I stand by that irony does not mean co- coincidental and I get frustrated. I think I, we can all agree that the Alanis Morissette <laughs> song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, mind you, I love Alanis Morissette, but that song drives me up a wall. Unless she meant the entire song to be ironic. Perhaps. I've heard that argument, but I feel like that's a very destructive uh, song then, <laughs> you know, because that's, that's operating on like a double layer of irony that just the 90s weren't ready for. I feel like that's very much a... Um, that's a meta thing that like the 90s was not was yeah. ready. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of it reminds me of a trend that's, that exists these days, kind of like with Rick and Morty fans, oh, yeah. um, of which, you know, I consider myself a part, but it's it's very much that argument of, you know, if, if you don't get it, it's just because you're not smart enough to understand it. Maybe <laughs> you do like, the American accent too, just breaks my heart a little bit. Even like, if you do understand it, the reasons why you understand it are so complex that you won't even understand <laughs> those reasons. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There, There is, uh, I think fan bases now are always going to be a bit bizarre. I think that's just a, a problem inherent of any large group of people or even yeah. not so large. It's it, There is so many, it's very difficult to categorize people. I mean, it's super useful, obviously, but then... You can you can criticize any portion of any group. Well, when you're a fan, I mean, so much like of an identity of being a fan deals with like the hierarchy and like intensity of the fandom. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. are you a casual fan? Are you a serious fan? Then and then, how do you make those distinctions? And then when you know you have that self check in a fan community, it winds up occasionally becoming somewhat aggressive. Yeah, and I understand that there are pros and cons to each. I mean, I consider myself 
you know, a huge fan in 1975. But, you know, if, if I was them and I was thinking of the perfect fan, it wouldn't be me because I'm not, you know, camping out to right, see five yeah. of their shows in a row and screaming in the front row. I'll, I'll, I'll hang towards the back so that I don't get... Yeah. I think I think no one connects with music on, on that scale like like adolescent like adolescence. Well, you just feel everything so intensely. Yeah, you feel everything so intensely. Which is awesome. That's like the primary music consuming demographic. I think actually as a creator of music as well, it's it's awesome to experience your music through that lens, Mm -hmm. through the lens of people who feel it so intensely. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the complicated thing about being out here and like being in it is that we've had to more or less like pretend that we're not fans of things that we we are because oh is that right it's a kind well, of a culture of no, not, no, not being too not about outward like being, in your appreciation not in that mm. sense i mean for us specifically it's like if we're in the room with somebody who worked on this song that we mm. really like or you know like we have somebody on the show or something like that we have to you don't want to freak them out we don't want to freak them out you know and, and i think that at a certain point it's now become like yeah, you natural. pretend to be something enough that it becomes true it's like now i don't think i get as phased by seeing somebody out in public as I was like a, you know, a year ago. Or yeah. Well, and also the longer you're in this, the more you learn that everyone's just people and that everyone, <laughs> exactly. everyone's doing their thing. And like you, even you, you can have this relationship with the song and it makes an artist into something different. But when you actually meet them, like you understand a degree of their humanity, which takes the pressure off inevitably. I think mm. there's always like, even like the most genius people ever, like there's always sort of a degree of awkwardness and a degree of, um, uh, messiness or except me though right yeah you're you're the you're, smoothest you are person. the only <laughs> exception yeah uh, no but that's the Thanks, thing it's man, like there there will always be the very human thing of having to think and speak and listen and speak and and go with the entire strata of um of emotional and, and mental you know. Uh, exertion that comes from any kind of interaction that you realize that anybody you talk to no matter how famous is just a person who has to you know. Celebrities, they're just like they're us. Just like us. <laughs> they put their shoes on and their socks, and they they put their pants on one one, one leg at a time. Even though I would I would say most people put their pants on two legs at once. No, I do it one leg. Two at legs at once? Well, well, you that's weird. Are you jumping into your pants? No. <laughs> yeah, so you, you, you sit on the edge of your bed and you just put them on. Like no, I, I don't do that weird. all the time, but I definitely do that some of the time. No, I put Fair. it one You've leg never at a time. That. Yeah, because I'm I'm like <laughs> neither of you ever done that. I have done that. Okay, yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's the predominant way. I, I don't I like doing that. It feels like you're really playing like an aiming game. It's like, here are two things I have to get into like at the same time. Like It just feels like a very challenging thing to do. I, I, I feel like I have to d- disagree with both of you now. <laughs> I consider it a relatively simple process. I don't know. Putting on pants is just always, <laughs> it's so stressful. It's so, I, have to, really I, I have like an hour it. of prep. You know, I gotta like mentally prepare myself for it. What's, uh, what's next for y'all? Oh, I'm not currently really thinking beyond the three and a half months of touring that I have pressing down on me from I think just a few days from now onwards it's gonna be amazing I'm super excited I mean it's it's your first time playing in the US yeah yeah it's gonna be my first some of my first shows ever I really haven't played live that much for this project anyway so for for a couple of years You'll, you'll find the fans that are here yeah I think I'm super looking forward to it I'm gonna see so many cities and I'm going to see way more of this country by the end than I have of Australia. You'll probably see more of this country than we have. Yeah, yeah it's going to yeah. be strange. Yeah. Um, how did you first connect with Shallow? Uh, we have the same manager. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. He's awesome. But I've been a fan music. of his for a while. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to tour with, with Shallow and his team simply because they all seem so lovely. Um, the people that I've met so far, everyone's just, you know, we all seem to drive uh, in terms of personality and and. I feel very lucky in the sense that touring these days seems to be taken 
more seriously in the sense that, you know, people aren't going out every night and partying. It's, right. it's more, at least, you know, not, not this Debauchery. set of people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more like, okay, well, let's make sure that the shows are good. We'll have green tea and honey before we'll yeah. warm up. Like after the venue, you know, we'll, we'll try to say hi to as many people as we can, but then we've got to get some sleep before we drive to the next town. So I just, I, I feel relaxed knowing that it's that focused on yeah. being professional and having it. Because mm-hmm. I just feel like if you're delivering a good show and everything's organized, then that allows you to be more relaxed anyway. Right. Well, and it's great too. Like, you you know, both of your styles of music are so complementary to each other. Mm-hmm. And there's such a distinct sound palette to both of you that, that it, you know, runs in, you know, there's a Venn diagram there somewhere, but yeah. there, it, it's, I think it's a really powerful compliment. So yeah, I'm excited. Really show. I'm excited for you guys. Like, I think it's going to be just a really great run. Oh, I'm excited like, to see the show. Yeah. It's, uh, well, so, uh, and you said you were working on, on new music as well? Yeah. I've got a second EP just about done. Oh, wow. Are you rolling them out as like singles or? I think there will be a couple of singles. Um, I'm still waiting to hear on, I think, when we might mm-hmm. release it. But I think it, it might even be this year. Um, but it's just a matter of fitting it in around touring, which is now starting to really ramp up. Yeah. Kurt, thank you so much for being on the show. Like yeah. it's been thank awesome just chatting, man. This is one of my first podcast experiences. And I feel like it's such a great excuse to actually have a good conversation that you wouldn't <laughs> make time for otherwise yeah well i think too just like you know you're very deliberate about what you do um both musically and also philosophically it's nice to pick your brain about it you know oh thanks man We'd like to thank Jägermeister, Outlaw Energy, and Isotope for their early support of Talking Lion.